This is Oblivion with David Miller and David Overby. Okie doke. Well, it's August 10th, 2020, the year of our Lord. And uh, I guess you uh, you want to talk a little more about innate and adaptive immune systems. Oh, wow. That's another thing I had uh, going on for this week. Um, yeah, a lot is piling on. Uh, is it all right if I uh, roll with something that's kind of fresh but picks up on um, what we yeah. talked One of the things we talked about last time? Yeah. Well, I think last time, uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't uh, I predict that the baseball season would end? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the baseball season hasn't ended, but it looks like there really is not going to be a college football season because yesterday the Big Ten announced that they were going to cancel their season. They just weren't ready to make it official. Um, All but two programs, and I call them – programs because that's what they are they're not schools like a football team is not a school (laughs) and it is so insane that we keep thinking of this and insisting that it's amateur anything about it but anyway one of the things that's amusing to me is that one of the two programs that still does want to have a big excuse me uh, a big 10 season is Northwestern, which is, uh, if you know anything about Northwestern, is supposed to be the smart school of the Big Ten schools, just like Vanderbilt is for the SEC. So that would be major news uh, in terms of sports related to the COVID-19 pandemic if the Big Ten were to shut down. And so what this has prompted is that all of the Power Five conferences, which in addition to the Big Ten are the Big 12, the Pac-12, the SEC, and the ACC. Um, These are the... um, Together, those constitute the Power Five conferences uh, for for college football, as as well as uh, college basketball. I mean, they're the the big name, big time programs that always have loaded teams, and um, are are usually the conferences that supply the national champions, such as Clemson out of the ACC, Alabama out of the SEC, uh, Ohio State uh, out of the Big Ten. But so four of, uh, let's see, I guess that would be uh, three of the remaining four conferences after the Big Ten also appear to be leading towards saying there won't be any football, right? Um, And um, guess which one, take a wild guess, where do we live? You know, guess which conference is still saying, no, we think we're going to go ahead with football. Uh, I think that would be the 
the great SEC. You you got it, man. Well, but I mean, God I, love it. I'll say, but the the thing is, is that I mean, it's got to be closed down, right? Because are the, the rest of them going to say, "Oh, we're going to go ahead"? If the even if the uh, ten, uh, which one did you say was said they were the Big Ten? The Big Ten. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how they can't possibly play if they drop out, right? I mean, well. Uh, I, I think that you're right. I mean, the season already, everything about sports has just gotten so weird that it's um, it's it's really not, I think, at all recreating what sports were for the pandemic, you know, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. You know, like well, I, would I think I think I think that the Pac-10. Um, I think the only reason they haven't announced it's obviously going to happen is they're just coordinating with everybody else. And I think they're all just going to say it's closed. Um, well, I think that you're right. I mean, I think you mean by, uh, you're saying that the, it's the, it's the big 10 that the story is, is about, but the three of the other conferences, so that'd be the big 12, the ACC and the, and the PAC 12, Probably the Big Ten's trying to get those in the SEC to go along and say, look, if we all just announce at the same time we're not going to have football, it will, you know, bolster the position of, of all of us because we'll, right. we'll all have decided this, and there won't be sort of back and forth and bickering about it'll be, be united. But it's really just fundamentally in terms of best practices that this is what you would, you know, want to yeah. do. I mean, we, we know that. Uh, the virus is is a highly contagious, and that it kills people, and that the main way that it spreads is not necessarily through individuals, but through um, events, right? Like, uh, and and uh, with you, especially with football, there are a lot of players, and uh, it's basically the opposite of you know social distancing. You know, it's a game that's about you know, blocking and tackling. It's about um, you know, very close in, you know, physical uh, confrontation. So um, it just seems uh, crazy to uh, to go ahead with the season. Uh, but where I think this issue might connect uh, with some issues that you, uh, uh, Dave, have been uh, talking about uh, in the last uh, two podcasts with regard to the uh, unemployment benefit and, and so forth is how this extends economically to that it would be a loss uh, between $4.1 billion and $7 billion based on the numbers that I've heard reported in accounts of, of this uh, story. But the accounts from all the different sources, and I'm thinking about the Detroit Free Press and Yahoo. So, I mean, this isn't any uh, kind of just thrown out there uh, number, which of course definitely happens these days, but there's all everything puts it between you know four and seven billion. So just call it you know four billion um, in terms of you know not trying to be the liberal um, <laughs> prepper into the world. Here it comes, everybody. But you know we'll just call it it'll be only be four billion dollars, a four billion dollar loss for these programs and these football programs one has to understand are what all the other sports college sports 
depend on for their revenue in order to operate. So the whole super expensive, overextended athletic apparatus, right, has been built on, it's sort of an inverted, if you will, uh, framework where you have the one pillar <laughs> football holding up all of these other sports. And of course, what's driven it is, is greed. Like, let's do our best turn, for example, um, women's volleyball into the same thing that men's college basketball is. You know, we'll, we'll start putting the games on ESPN. Like, whoever talked about while having a beer, like, boy, if only instead of watching more college basketball, which would be really awesome, uh, what if they would cut away from this and put some women's volleyball on? Wouldn't that be even better? You know, no one has ever wanted that. So it was just this corporate greed thing where you you push it on people because you know you've got a monopoly on the sports audience, right? And you just you you've made so much money that you can use that money for power and kind of you know domination of how sports are presented and experienced. Um, but football is what props up. You, you would have, for example, say a million-dollar women's volleyball coach, a million-dollar uh, softball coach. Um, I'm not trying to knock women's uh, sports here, but the reality is if you want to look at this from a capitalist free market perspective, these women's sports in college uh, lose money. I mean, they're not among the money makers. I'm sure there are exceptions, or at least I would guess that there are, like Connecticut, Notre Dame, uh, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and women's uh, college basketball. So I'm not denying that there aren't some real uh, powerhouse programs with a lot of appeal uh, and a, a big following. But I just think on the whole, it's honest to say that really nobody cares about women's college basketball. Like, Well, I mean, it's... Not that they don't care. You ever, you're you're just making the point that about the money. Uh, th- th- yeah, that I mean, you think that that's gonna all that's gonna be cut or uh, or what? I mean, for sure, uh, man. And it's gonna be a big whammy. It's gonna be like the thing that politically should have happened, or really should have never happened. Like the mistake was, it should have never been allowed to have gotten to where it is and what it is. What do you mean? Everyone. Sh- well, all of the universities, you know, should have had the decency to say, look, we know what's going to happen if we, right, do what they basically did, which is just exploit to the end the potential to turn their universities into uh, sports programs, right? sports enterprises. Right. I mean, they really are uh, franchises. That's the word that I'm yeah, looking yeah, for, yeah. you know. These places, I mean, I swear, like, you know, University of Kentucky is a sports franchise. In the mind of if that term is thrown around in the general culture, it's associated with the basketball team. And everybody knows this. And that's the whole point. And there are these just tiresome and, you know, doing everything for the wrong reason arguments about how, and this is good because it gets our name out there and, you know, people will come here and 
they'll do, you know, we'll be a, you know, diversity and uh, gets our name out there and our brand is out there and it gets their name out there. And, you know, I'm, I'm being silly here and <laughs> making fun of well, how it's basically think, the same message over and over, but it's, this is, it's irrelevant. This is, this is obviously going to be the big test of the whole propaganda of, you know, that they're, it's all separate, right? There's no, you know, they're a whole different thing. So it won't, uh, you know, it shouldn't harm it, right? Um, it shouldn't harm the university they're at if, if the, actually what they've been saying is true. I um, mean, in terms of what? That they're saying what is true? Well, it, it, all for... You know, part of the propaganda is that, you know, that the programs are separate, that the athletic program is separate from the from the university. And if that's really true, then right now there shouldn't be a problem if the if the football team collapses and. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, but obviously that's not going to happen. And we're going to see to what extent they're intertwined, which is, I think, very, you know. Obviously, very intertwined. But the thing is, is that the pandemic shows us that in real life, everything is intertwined. You know, that that has to be a lesson that is uh, brought to bear on, on, on all of this. I mean, that it's never true that this is in a bubble or this is separate from this. Like, here's the way I look at it. Um, it's like the chain is still there, but it goes in the opposite direction of just saying, well, they're, they're part of the same thing in terms of that they're both part of the University of Kentucky, right? Because you can say, what happens when, you know, $4 billion, poof, you know, isn't there? And everything else, all of a sudden, that that's been propping up, can't exist anymore. Like, it's that. Like, there's, there's no way to... I mean, unless you're going to do something where the uh, uh, Congress is going to give the next trillion dollars to those people, right? While everybody is um, unemployed well, and doesn't have health care and is is you know can't still can't function without worrying about you know this goddamn virus. Now I gather that uh, to. Uh, to segue into the unemployment, um, you know, the next CARES Act. Um, uh, you, know, you know, this week that uh, Trump signed an executive order to basically extend that part of it, which is interesting. Um, uh, yeah, but isn't it convoluted? Like, what? You mean. The actual uh, order itself, in terms of what Trump is claiming that he's done, that it's, you know, well, they're going to. It sounded like they were, it had $300. So it's right. like extended $300 for at least for that part of it, uh, as to whatever else. And, and who knows? But then if, the states were supposed to match it. And then the oh, really? states oh, didn't yeah. match it. And then they could also. <laughs> This is one thing that I heard that it, then also if the federal government, you know, that, you know, had to check to make sure that the state actually qualified for this. So <laughs> I'm going to do an executive order saying that I can determine if you can get the money. <laughs> it's like, you know, literally doing nothing <laughs> because I still haven't done anything like 
that was always a possibility if he can sign the executive order in the first place. Um, but I, yeah, on, on, on this issue, I was thinking, I think the, the Democrats really blew it when the very first time around that any deal was made, why didn't they just follow the science and say, it must be that until the pandemic is over because they, you know, they had to have known this was going to happen. Like. They they get this one deal done and they can say, Hey, we're the Democrats, look what we did. You know, we work together and compromise and bipartisan and and of course but it it it's was worthless, like just freaking everything that our government and the president and I, Right. I think it comes down to that the Democratic leadership didn't want to do that because they you know, they were all along insisting on means tests, you know, that we're not going to just give it to everybody. You've got to, like, be a taxpayer or this, that, and the other, Uh, and didn't universalize it. And, of course, they also didn't want to keep it going forever because, you know, uh, well, I think mostly that they just totally flopped on that first bill. They just completely didn't resist anything. Now, supposedly, I'm not sure to what extent, Bernie and his allies put in a lot of these things that were for people. But, um, yeah, think about what they would be without Bernie Sanders. Like, can you imagine how, what a nightmare the Democratic Party would be if, like, they, they basically destroyed Bernie Sanders, which is what... I think is the only real well, it's not, accomplishment the answer of the Democratic is, Party in the last 30 years. The answer is it's not much different because, I mean, you can just see how... Uh, they neutralized him. Yeah, totally. Ne- not only neutralized, but, you know, he's like... I mean, no stink about that there's no Medicare for all, no, you know... Neither. He's really been reticent, you know, yeah. since... And and for why? I mean, did they did they get to him? You know, <laughs> have they have they shut him up? I mean, I think the this know. comes down to he's like, oh shit, can you still hear me? Maybe. Oh damn What's it! That? Just dropped my phone, cracked the screen on it. You still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Are we still recording? Like to the yeah, it's still recording. That's bullshit. Okay. Even have like a bezel on this thing. It's still okay. Damn. Oh. <sighs> Fragile technology. Yeah. Fuck. <clears throat> um. Let's see. So. Yeah. Um. Right. So he. He's just completely neutered. And I think it's just because he's a, you know, friends, you know, uh, Joe Biden's a good friend of mine and and all that stuff. And it's just, uh, it's just totally lame because who cares if you're friends with this guy? Who cares about, you know, if these things are really so important, you right. know, who cares about personal friendship and, your relationships and 
and even like you wanting to keep your position, you know, your, uh, you know, keep your, um, you know, committee assignments or whatever. I mean, you're nearly 80 years old. I mean, go for bro for Christ's sake. Because he hasn't, it's just like, who cares? Uh, I'm just not even. Yeah, it's it's really deflating. Um, you know, it doesn't seem like you know he's he's Bernie anymore, and it just seems like another way that the American machine has absorbed something that actually, you know, did make some vibrations and, um, um, but you know, it, in the end, it just you know nothing changes. Which, which again, I'm, I'm going to stick to is in the long run going to be the the worst thing of all about America's response to the, the pandemic is that I don't think anything will really change for the better because of it. I mean, do you realize that the Democrats are running a candidate who doesn't believe we need to have universal health care during a pandemic to which... <laughs> the country in which the candidate has been a senator for 36 years on top of being vice president for eight years. So he's been a mainstay through all of this. Is his country the worst in the world in responding to this pandemic? And he does not believe we should have Medicare for all. He does not believe we should just have universal health care. So that is what the so-called, you know, liberal uh, American party has to offer. And uh, that just foretells of, of just somehow unbelievably even more stagnation. And, and I think what's, what's just become like, a, instead of like a march, into right-wing extremism it's like a decay into right-wing extremism if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. um it's more of uh i just i think um what one thing that stands out about the american population is that it's poorly motivated didn't i write something like high school sucks was that a yeah yeah Okay, can I can I jump yeah. into that for a moment? Um, sure. Well, that's in relation to the you know being poorly motivated comments, and there was a, a thread in which the the two uh, participants who I'll you know leave just completely uh, anonymous. Uh, so I'm just making a general observation here. It's really not about these people because it's just sort of reflective of um, it's reflective of I think the way that the culture, the American culture looks at things, right? So all this kind of uh, uh, a slight bit fictionalize it. And so that way, you know, I'm not implicated in, in violating anyone's privacy. So, but it's one person is, is uh, being upset about the fact that the Pac-10 is going to cancel uh, the football season. Right. And then uh, it's also connected, I think, uh, somehow to um, this person is a parent. And so the the parents uh, offspring is going to be a senior, you know, uh, high school player. 
and so their season is going to get canceled too. It's it's looking like um, because if these big time schools are going to you know shut it down, then uh, it's really going to look like the you know lesser people look like boneheads if they go ahead and do it and something uh, uh, goes wrong because you know it mean uh, any, anyway. So. Um, this person is really upset at the fact that they're not going to have uh, any sports. And then another person comes in and, and says, um, well, I'm leaving out one, one key uh, thing. Um, the, the person saying uh, the parent that is saying that it's, it's too bad that the, uh, the son is going to miss out on playing football is um it means it's this uh, sad moment of you know missing out on one of these great moments of, of high school and and then the person goes on saying you know i can't imagine missing out on my like senior competition in band are you with me <laughs> right and then this other person comes in and says like you know yes i understand you know it's frustrating and all but you know we have to be patient and then I thought this was really interesting because I rarely hear anyone bring this up. But then this person said, um, uh, you know, I think about the young men who had to go to Vietnam. Right, right when they're graduating from high school, they were then going to have to uh, go straight to, to Vietnam and, you know, be in a war and maybe get killed. <laughs> and... Um, that really uh, was um, an eye opener in terms of uh, of making a, I think, a good point in the sense that uh, just you know one total lack of of historical perspective, <laughs> and I think lack of perspective. Period. But also this uh, miserable, uh, and this gets back to the motivation thing. This miserable idea or the developmental trajectory of, you know, nothing has been, you know, significantly better than anything I did when I was 17. Right. Yeah. Well, which would, you know, I heard during the graduation ceremony in my high school, you know, it was little speech after little speech was, was these are the best days of our lives, and, and I guess it, I guess it was really true to a lot of people. You know, uh, how does that happen? Yeah, I, at the time I was like, oh God, I hope not. You know, uh, yeah, I just I just thought there's no there's no fucking way like it's impossible. Like this is this is so awful. It's going to be great, just that it won't be this. You know, and I do have to say that, you know, my general emotional experience, you know, improved a lot um, being, you know, after after high school, definitely, you know, for yeah. sure. You know, it did not have anything to do with, you know, the incredible college. So you're saying you, you, you're saying you just, you're saying you didn't peak at high school. Um. No, I mean I may have peaked <laughs> in the seventh grade. <laughs> preschool, you <laughs> peaked in preschool. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably when I was uh, uh, 
best dressed. Like the pictures <laughs> of me. Uh, yeah. Looking quite, da- if, if quite dapper. And... Well, um, you know how my, uh, my, my dad was uh, an attorney, right? So he was always wearing neckties. So I had, when I started going to nursery school, I had to have these clip-on <laughs> ties to wear. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go. Like I, so, and so, but, you know, that was just, maybe you're right. It may have been the peak. <laughs> you know, and now I just dress, like I, I have a selection of, um, I've got about four white t-shirts that they're really nice. They fit just right. Um, and then I've got this, uh, nice, they're kind of starting to wear out though. These, uh, these other t-shirts, they have a pocket on the left breast and I've got a blue one, a red one, um, and two gray ones and I run in one gray one and it's really coming to pieces. And I basically just wear shorts during the summer and my sandals and, and, you know, with the pandemic and the social isolation, I mean, that only reinforces a sense of like, why would I ever even consider dressing up? But, uh, well, then but, finish, uh, finish up the high school thing. Well, sure. You know, yeah. I mean, but I, any, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, he, it's it's just it's interesting what kind of I, I guess that the person that loved high school so much I mean what would the characters of that person be I mean I guess it would be somebody that was kind of real pretty stable not neurotic I don't know I mean, that you would enjoy that situation that you were a bully and you liked being a bully and they you know. Well, uh, I just yeah, I was going to say bully system because you, didn't you talk mm-hmm. about bully system with regard right. to high school recently? Right, right, right. Well, uh, I mean, there there you have it. I mean, you're somebody, and I don't think there's anything stable about that. I just think that you're uh, a sociopath. I mean, like you're not going to necessarily be the person that has a you know a knife like in the movie Scream and you know goes around and carves people up, but um, you're definitely somebody that just sort of accepts and, and probably in some ways is, you know, stimulated by, you know, adrenaline feeding, that kind right. of thing. I was going to say, ex, you know, uh, uh, extrovert and right. a conformist, you know, and somebody that enjoys the illusion of popularity, mm-hmm. right? And you lose that, you know, when high school is over because, there, that, that density of that group of people is going to disperse. Now, you know, on the whole, you know, your life kind of um, s- settles in and it, it, it does in some ways basically become the same thing where, uh, you know, all you're mainly doing is the same stuff with people who are roughly your age. Um, but um, I just think, you know, to bring it back to the issue of motivation, what what could account for being a poorly motivated culture is, well, you know, what happens when that adolescent part of life is over and where life needs to be about more than ego, can you find motivation? And it's uh, it's pathetic that <laughs> obviously the answer is no. Like once the idea of the 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 individual, the self being like really popular, really important, and and all of this stuff, um, 
it's just the person doesn't care. They, they're apathetic. They don't know what's going on. You know, they haven't, they're, they're sort of, they're so detached from everything else that, um, when, when something like the pandemic happens, uh, they latch on to the idea of, um, uh, oh, guess what? You know, Donald Trump is really bad. You know, and it's all that they talk about because they don't want to talk about the decades of, um, of government and policies and just completely, uh, you know, you know, neglect and, and oppression, uh, that, that got the, the country to the state of mind, um, where, where it was when the pandemic hit such that you still have all these people saying, I'm not going to wear masks. Right. And of course this leads to vroom, vroom, Sturgis. Now the, the latest example of just determined, you know, American idiocy. So what, what is the story with that? Sturgis. Mm-hmm. Sturgis is in uh, South Dakota. It's a town that's in uh, Western South Dakota, about 25 miles uh, northwest of Rapid City. And uh, every year, this time of year, about you know a quarter of a million bikers descend on the place for a big uh, biker fest. And of course, it's a major. I'm sure it's a major money maker, and they've done TV series about it, and. Um, and they, uh, something like 60% of the locals in Sturgis said, you know, let's not do this this year. And, uh, but the thing is, you know, first of all, it's a small town and, you know, Western South Dakota is sort of in the open territory. Uh, I mean, you're really even getting out of the Midwest at at this point and, and getting into the, into the northwestern part of the of the country before you get to the mountains which is you know just a combination of prairie and uh um uh, in some ways um you could say exotic uh, uh terrain um but but anyway a lot of this event takes place out of the actual uh town limits of Sturgis right so it's like Sturgis is the center of it it's the headquarters the you know the the epicenter of it but it it kind of sprawls outward which i'm sure is a big part of the appeal is that you can have stuff going on you know all over the place and um uh you've got all this open space around sturgis uh in which to do it because it's western south dakota um, and there just wasn't any way to stop it. Now, I did read an article about uh, some uh, First Nation tribes that were going to do checkpoints to stop these people, but I haven't heard anything else about it since then. And obviously, from the pictures I've seen, whatever it was that anybody was trying to do was just <laughs> totally ineffective. And that's the whole thing with me is that I just see this mainly as a cultural problem. I mean, if 250,000 bikers are determined to descend on a town of, I think, 6,000 people. And, uh, I mean, Sturgis is like, it's famous, but it's, uh, it's small, apparently. Hmm. Um, I have, I had actually, uh, thought about checking it out at some point, you know, like on a road trip out West, like I wouldn't <laughs> go just to do that, but I, you know, hmm. if this is a time to be out, be like, you know, why not? I've never been to South Dakota. 
drive through, see what's going on, you know, you know, try not to get my ass kicked and <laughs> maybe it'd be fun. You know, I might, I'd probably meet some cool people and, uh, you know, have a few drinks and whoop it up and then, uh, be like, Hey, you know, that was kind of cool. But, um, it's, um, I'm, and I'm not going to blame bikers cause I'm sure there are a lot of bikers that are, would be like, man, you know, this, we didn't need to do this. Um, maybe, I don't know. I probably don't need to be speaking for them, but, um, I'm just saying, I'm not pegging that one group is saying that they're, uh, guilty of this type of behavior because we've seen it across the board. I mean, conservative, uptight uh, Americans want to go bowling and get their hair cut and go get chicken wings. And uh, I mean, everybody, every demographic in the society in its own way has flaunted or violated or taken umbrage toward the mandates of mask wearing, social distancing, and for the most part, just not going out and doing anything, right? I mean, playing the odds that if the more you just simply don't go anywhere, you know, you won't get infected and then you won't spread it. Uh, and that's another thing. Wow, this just popped into my mind. Uh, 970,000 children have uh, tested positive for COVID-19 recently. Uh, I wish I could remember more specifics on the uh, on the actual numbers, but this is... Uh, you know, a lot of the summer camps and things that they do with uh, kids and this the, and this refusal to understand this is a novel virus, right? We can't make these steadfast claims that it doesn't affect children or children don't die from this. Uh, sadly, uh, younger children have died from this. Uh, I think a seven-year-old in Georgia, a six-year-old in uh, Tennessee, um, uh, had this and, and died. Wow. So, um, yeah, you know, like <laughs> Jesus, you know, <laughs> uh, but you know, the, we shouldn't, it's a, since it's a novel virus, I mean, how far into this are we? Uh, when would you want to, if you had to pick a date, I mean, um, what would you say for like when this all started? Uh, well, it was mid March, uh, as far as closing down. Yeah. I mean, that's basically for all practical purposes. Yeah. So how many months is that now? Well, that three, this is say three, eight, that's five months. I mean, it's a novel virus and, you know, we've had five months to, you know, to study it. So, um, is that really enough time to just, you know, that's all the more reason to use caution, <laughs> obviously. You know, of course, that's another issue that's ongoing. I think we talked about it last time, but the whole idea of starting schools, you know, totally ridiculous. There are these pictures on the Internet of the students shoulder to shoulder, crowded hallways. Most of them aren't wearing masks, just completely idiotic and predictable. Oh, and what was the note that I made? Um like a disregard for realistic thinking. That that was my note. A disregard for realistic thinking. Um, if you if you follow me in terms of how they're going to set up colleges and universities, like this whole thing of they're gonna they want to have the students come on campus and the students want to come on campus, the ones that do because 
they feel like they're uh, they're supposed to have this college experience and that they're uh, that's part of what they're paying for. And so they're sitting at home and doing stuff on the computer, which is all they're doing anyway, is, uh, you know, financially, you know, even more of a waste than the bloated tuition already is. Um, but then you have um, the the university saying, well, we're going to bring you on campus, but like you cannot party and you can't have gatherings and you can't, um, uh, I mean, you can't uh, go off campus. You can't, you can't uh, take trips. And I'm just thinking like, does that sound realistic? Like the reason these people that want to be there, (laughs) you know, the ones that say that they do has everything to do with the fact that they want to, you know, have their college experience. And I'm just thinking in terms of realistic thinking, like what is actually going to happen? I mean, won't it be the case that these college students will be like these, you know, bikers going to Sturgis and the conservative families, you know, going uh, to play golf and to have calamari, you know, in air conditioning and, um, yeah, I mean, of course they will. You know, a lot of them will. I mean, do you really think that they're going to behave, that you, you're going to have a semester and that college students are going to do all these, uh, you know, robot things and always be behind plexiglass every time they encounter <laughs> one another? Well, yeah, I mean, it was. that's why it's so puzzling that UK thinks that they can get away with having classes. Uh, the motivation has to be money. But, I mean, they have to. They yeah. have to be. There has to be some sort of legal ploy where if they can just get like the first hour of classes in on the first day, you know, and then thirty percent of the campus is, you know, infected or something. 24 hours later and they have to shut down, they can say, well, you know, you had your semester and we didn't shut things down. You know, the governor did and so on and so forth. And, you know, the governor may do this as a way of absolving the universities from having to refund any tuition. Um, That of course, you know, ties back to the whole, I guess what you could say vicious cycle that I think is going to be set in motion by the loss of the $4 billion. And let's, you know, what if it's 7 billion, you know, that's nearly twice as much. Uh, And I would bet, you know, it's probably closer to that because um, of just how hierarchical and the, the greed, the way things are so concentrated at the, at the top. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, um, the CEO of uh, Facebook is now a cent a billionaire, someone now worth like $10 billion. And it almost just seems like being um, obese. Like it doesn't even seem like um, at all an attractive reality or characteristic yeah. of a person that they would have that much money. Well, they're gods, basically. Right, and that we're gonna we're gonna. They literally have more money than God. 
Right. I mean, or, I mean, just to be blasphemous, you know, that they have, they have more power uh, than yeah. God. You know, right. they have in a, in a human world that is so wrapped up in money. I mean, their level of control over what, not just the economic situation uh, of ter- in terms of what they can do to other people, but, uh, if you're Zuckerberg and Facebook, the way that you can con- can control ideas and the way people uh, perceive ideas and express themselves in the in the age of the internet, I mean, you know, Facebook and and internet are uh, very much overlapped and intertwined. Uh, one thing, though, if, if speaking of Bernie Sanders, one blip. From Bernie, uh, I'm glad I thought of this, remember this. Um, he has put out something like the one-time billionaire tax, which is, a, which is a slight bit of a revival of his voice and presence in the political scene. Yeah. Uh, he wants to see this, he's saying that this one time he wants to tax Zuckerberg, Bill Gates, and... Um, Jeff Bezos, like three of the six richest people, I think, in the world, uh, because they are profiting off of the pandemic. I mean, you have to have the Internet to order online, (laughs) right? Right. So that benefits, you know, Amazon, because how does Amazon exist if you can't order stuff online? Like if you have to go somewhere to order it, you may as well just go there to get it. Right. I mean, it all, so it all kind of breaks down that way. Um, but, um, but the way all these things are intertwined. So if you're self-isolating, if there's a pandemic, then people are not, going about as as useful and the um lesser businesses right i mean the ones that are not these giants like amazon where someone the ceo is a is a billionaire like a you know a local business in many cases these places are going out of business so, um, you know, all of this uh, culminates in unfairly benefiting, uh, especially, you know, Jeff Bezos. And, and you, you would have to say that this isn't really happening because of free market dynamics. This is happening because uh, these people are taking advantage of a public health crisis. And, and that shouldn't be happening. And what should be happening, and I think Bernie is absolutely right to say this, is um, while this pandemic is happening, you know, these three people should have to pay um, a significant amount in taxes because we desperately need the money to put into fighting the pandemic. <laughs> that because it exists is what has you know, made these people's already enormous profits soar even, even more. But it's like you can't be a business person and say that like you're such a great business person because there's a pandemic. 
Like that just does not hold up. <laughs> like, you know, unless you're this sort of, you know, wizard scumbag that decided, oh, this is what I'll do. I'll start a delivery service and then I'll conjure a deadly contagion and then everyone will have to stay home. They won't be able to go out and they'll already be used to using the Internet anyway. And they're going to order all this crap for me and I'll already be rich and then I'll really dominate. You know, so. Um, but I think Amazon is buying up like J.C. Penny lots and. Sears places, uh, right? And I mean, to me, the contrast is, you know, J.C. Penney was, you know, has stuff. You know, Sears, you know, has stuff. You go there, and it's like, well, let's get this, this, this. You know, oh, look, some TVs and all of that, and uh, you know, the internet's made it. Like, um, I think it was already sort of the decay of inviting public space. Like, if if it's not uh, to begin with any fun to go out, then if you, if you're just going out to get stuff rather than to be out, right. And socialize <laughs> and you're just out there to consume, then what's the difference? I mean, just use the internet all the time. And, uh, and of course, I think the internet is like rural electrification. It should just be free all across the country. But you're just people are just going to use the internet, and they're going to use this uh, delivery giant called Amazon, uh, and that is causing these already extremely wealthy people to get even richer. And as far as Zuckerberg is concerned, he's also one of these people who would be ta- taxed heavily this one time. Um, you know, he benefits because how people were already uh, uh, habituated to using social media, I think, and to using the internet. I mean, even by now, older people are pretty facilitated uh, with it. But I mean, in some cases, people are addicted overusing it. I mean, I think the big joke of of 2016 election is People are using social media, of all things, to make these major political decisions. Like, that's the problem. It's like if if the Russians or anybody else are meddling or putting up fake accounts, you know, that's what you get for being such a, you know, poorly motivated person to bring back the high school trope of uh, that's how you're going to go about your adult life and thinking about your political decisions is only to spend even more time on social media. So in speaking of spending even more time on social media, that's what people do during a pandemic. Because the thing you're going to do is use the Internet more. I mean, it's the it's if anything, you could say the tailor made for a pandemic. Internet is good for that. All right. uh, And that's why everybody should listen to the Oblivious (laughs) podcast, because masks versus dress codes. So this has to do with, you may have heard of an acrobat uh, in uh, some beach in, in the South. Uh, I mean, a, a nice looking, very you know fit woman. She was wearing a thong bikini and she was arrested. Uh, but then she wound up not being charged. They basically charged her with nudity. She's like, I'm wearing clothes. And of course, if you're wearing clothes, you can't be charged with nudity. like Because nudity means you don't have any clothes on. Um, but, Which, you know, a then, thong uh, 
it's like a string. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it's, not, it's, uh, it's the uh, minimal it's possible cost. <laughs> right. But then again, you could yeah. say that, that any, I mean, it's any bikini. All right. Like a grief, you know, come on, man. <laughs> so, and of course it begs the question. So what's it matter? I mean, right. That off. <laughs> yeah. what kind of, you know, who gives a shit? Like, and, um, uh, a friend of mine, a uh, painter who uh, has has lived in France, uh, was saying like this certainly you know no one would care about this in in France because you know in, in France people wear thong bikinis like I think men wear speedos and um, I mean well, I guess I mean, and you can you can be nude on the beach anywhere right. and you won't like get put in jail. I mean, they have beaches that if you prefer to be, you know, everybody to be nude, they've got those beaches. But anyway. If you prefer that they are nude, you go to those yeah, beaches. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just America is um, like super up, uptight. I mean, just about, about everything. Um, and I think that uptightness comes from a resistance to continuing to develop after high school. Right. Like, but give me, can you imagine being, say, 52 years old and you're saying, I can't imagine my life without my senior competition. (laughs) Like all I think about in, in, in high school is just like, wow, what a, it seems like a very distant thing. And it's also just like, you know, just awful. (laughs) It was just awful. I can't imagine anybody not being happy that it was just over, <laughs> like regardless of what was going to happen next. Um, anyway, where was I? I went well, on but, but I mean, the mass versus dress code. So, I mean, your argument is that. But in, in, sure. But in, in high schools, it applies even more specifically. I brought up the thong thing with the the uh, acrobat because um it it had was happening simultaneously with a high school in in Georgia where dress codes are still being enforced and of course it's always on uh girls I don't really like to call them girls because I we, there needs to be some term I mean is it okay to call like a 16 year old a young woman or is that also wrong because I shouldn't think of 16-year-old is a woman. I mean, well, what do you I call... Mean, technically, 16? I mean, the technical is the 18, you know, so, I mean, you're an adult. You're adult at... 16-year-old female. We'll call her a 16-year-old right. female. So yeah. it's, it's applied to the females, and it's this thing where the width of an index card is the maximum distance it can be from a skirt, you know, to the to the knee. Right. I mean, it's like, what is this? Like Pleasantville? Is this the 1950s or something? Like, wow, man. So they're going to enforce that because there was a story. This is always happening first day of school. And and it's almost always the female uh, for, you know, showing too much flesh. Uh, You know, heaven heaven forbid. So... Um, but if you think about wearing a mask, you know, why isn't that the same thing as a dress code? And so the hypocrisy is, 
a place like Georgia will say, well, it's a personal choice to wear a mask and we can't really enforce it. But then they'll turn around and they'll tell the 16-year-old female, you have to dress like this. Like, you can't wear this, you have to wear this. You're going to be punished because of your choice of how to dress yourself. (laughs) You know, that is so totalitarian. It's so bigoted, and it's totally misogynist and sexist, right? It's just completely reducing the woman to this object. And, and, you know, we will look at you, and then we will decide what you are instead of you deciding what you are. But that, I think, happens to all of us, right? None of us is encouraged to be who we are. And I think that gets back to the high school thing because conformists are happy to just let other people tell them who they are. Does that make any sense? Like they're happy to have this model to follow and you do that and you kind of get rewarded and you fit in and it's like, yeah, I'm cool because I fit in. But that's also a waste and it's also, it would also explain poor motivation because it's a goal that is accomplished fairly early in life. Like if you just decide to be a conformist or you are or you figure out in one way or another that if you just sort of blend in in a certain way that you can, that's, that's how you can aggrandize yourself and win awards and get promotions and be well-liked and just have your material stuff, um, then if that's a goal that's accomplished fairly early, the act of conforming, well, you're not going to be that motivated as you move further along in life because the main goal was accomplished when you were in puberty. <laughs> I mean, what was left to do? What I mean, what else could there be? And then that got me thinking about, get this, I think you're going to like this. It got me thinking about William Blake. What do you think about that as a tie-in? <laughs> do you want to hear it? Yeah. So here's the thing. You know, Blake says, uh, he who desires but acts not reads pestilence. Is that yeah, right. Sounds right. Accurate, yeah. more or less. That's one of his uh, proverbs from mm-hmm. uh, heaven and hell. Is that the? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the way I look at it is, you know, to give them the total benefit of the doubt, there are probably a lot of Americans who, in the abstract, really do believe in um, love and peace. And, and doing good, right? I mean, like most Americans don't just overtly spew intense hatred. <laughs> Although we have seen, you know, more of that, um, more of that lately. But I think a big problem with a poorly motivated culture is that it's apathetic. And if you're apathetic, it's that is a way of desiring but act but acting not if if you follow me right in other words like you know i you know i want the world to be a peaceful place and it gets back to that sociopathic tendency that that you uh david have have brought up in in previous podcasts of just accepting that there has to be violence and suffering and that some people have to get their ass handed to them and, you know, bad things just have to happen. You know, that you can't have a system that says we don't want anything bad happening to anybody. (laughs) Um, And that applies to the pandemic. 
Uh, it applies to, you know, Major League Baseball. Like, they have even said, like, you know, well, we figured we would have some infections. <laughs> like, they're just going to go ahead and say, I mean, how would you feel if you were somebody that was had tested positive? Wouldn't that worry you at all? Like, we wouldn't care. Or the fact that if you did become positive, you could spread it to someone else, right? And then down the line, someone gets it, and then it's that person who dies. I mean, that's kind of a horrible thing. Um, so the you know poorly motivated culture just looks at it like that and says, well, you know, it's a pandemic and it's contagious, and you know they're going to be infections instead of saying the goal has to be. We don't have any infections. No, and the Americans don't even think like that with, with regard to any issue. It's never like we shouldn't have anybody that's hungry. You know, we shouldn't have people that live in, you know, violence and poverty. And, you know, we shouldn't have people that who, who live these lives that are just saturated with stress. And there's this non-existent uh, support system. You know, there was a piece done about Europeans' perception of, of Americans based on the pandemic, and they, the words that were, that were used were that America was fragile and inconsiderate. And I thought that was pretty good. You know, that kind of says it all. And, it, but it, and if you think about sort of the high school um, prototype, if, if you will, like that, that cultural product, you know, the person that sort of builds their life around that identity of, of high school. Um, I mean, if you, um, um, you know, if you, if, if you think about uh, th that type of, of person, you know, you're, you're dealing with someone that's fragile because you know life is too complex to get through it simply by conforming. All right, we're uh, it's time to get the uh, <clears throat> death toll of the week. Oh yeah, so I had I, I wrote this stuff down, but um, there was things were a little bit off for whatever reason. You know, I didn't get one of the dates in the seven day sequence uh do you have numbers i mean i do have numbers that are fairly accurate i think yeah I'm, yeah I'm uh, although i could have just now that i think about it i could have just written the numbers uh anyway it's not uh it's not that big of a deal so as of August the 9th, which was yesterday, there were 162,833 deaths. A week before, on August the 2nd, there were 154,449 deaths. And then here's where I, I missed the one day going back, so it's only six days going back. But that's, you know, one day fewer than a week, so I think the number is still... Um, you know, it's not going to be overestimating the... the the, the, the tally, if, if you will, was 147, 143, um, 147,143 debt. Yeah. So just by looking at this, if I if I block out the numbers after the the, the thousands and just look at, you know, um, 
162. Almost, almost 7K is what I count here. Yeah, Dad. but by my count, the past week would be 8,390. Hmm. And then the previous week, you know, there was at least 7,000. With the with the need to go one day further back, and I don't know for why that one day um, wasn't there. But one of the big things that has happened over this period that should be noted is, and this would have happened the first week of August, is that the number of dead went above 150,000. Right, right, yeah. You know, one horrific thing that I've heard, and I'm glad that um, I thought of this, is that I think 40% of the deaths in the United States have been in nursing homes. What percent? 40. Wow. So it really gets, it really is true that it gets the, the old. Right. But which, it's also again, which, the, you know, which, you know, is interesting. I, I just remembered reading a thing yesterday, a little piece by Patrick Coburn. I don't know if you've, He's one of the Coburn brothers. Uh, he's in, uh, they're from Ireland, Cork, Ireland. Right. And uh, he he wrote about how, um, well, he was a polio victim in Cork, 1956. And he compared the polio uh, epidemic uh, to the current uh, state of affairs. And it was interesting how he he, compared, he said the one thing about the polio that was much more frightening to people was because it was young kids, it was little kids that affected you know so horribly, and you know, it's, and that's the kind of unfortunate thing is because like you know old people were just expected to die soon anyway, so people are <laughs> are not as affected by it, I guess, but. Doesn't yeah, get into, doesn't get into their maternal instincts or whatnot. Well, uh, that's actually a good um, adjective to bring in. I mean, that there is no maternal um, presence or influence. I think in the culture, none. I mean, that's uh, oh, that you know, that makes me think of of Hillary Clinton and. Like, what is it exactly about Hillary Clinton that, in her terms of her politics, represents any kind of, you know, matriarchal um, caretaking? Because that's what the, you know, the idea of a, uh, I mean, here's, here's an interesting, I think, possibility, like, that there's a difference between uh, matriarchy and feminism because feminism is all to simply it seems in America anyway is have women be in power right whereas you know matriarchy is is the is it's not the woman rules it's the mother rules yeah yeah the matriarch is the mother mm-hmm. not simply the woman and so there's a connection to, you know, both life giving and life sustaining. 
which of course that you know feminists would be angry at that representation of 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 the of the woman because it's you know like women exist to breed and to be pregnant and it's like but that's totally not what it's saying it's just it's looking at what is you know capital m mother you know like forget it don't even think of it as a human being think of it as mother earth right think of the planet gives us life you know it just does and it keeps us alive right so the matriarch would be the thing that does that and of course the american system is just hell-bent on beating you down every way it can think of like financially criminally um socially right you have to conform you have you have to fit into this and this you know in most parts of the country you know, we don't all get to live in portland you know we don't all get to you know live in little you know sex dens and you know vandalize our city every night <laughs> and then <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm Anarchist sex band. <laughs> Antifa. You know, but there's, I mean, there's nothing, uh, and the pandemic, again, is the ultimate empirical proof that this is true. Like, there's nothing about the American system uh, that is in any way, is it ingrained to, you know, nurture life. That was the the word out nurture, like you know, life nurturing, nurture life, you know, take care of the of of life, you know, take care of the young, take care of the old, just take care of everybody, right? That's the whole point of the culture. Like everybody's well fed, and everybody has a place to live, and uh, they have time to spend with family and friends, and and do leisurely pursuits i mean these are the things that you know make a human being uh, a person and not just a robot or a slave um which apparently americans just think um that it doesn't really matter that you would uh consider any of these uh needs of of nurturing life and that you would just decide that people were going to have to die and that you weren't going to do anything to stop it and that the government isn't really obliged to do anything to stop it but speaking of hillary clinton did you hear about her uh anti-pot brownie uh bigoted (laughs) comment that she made (laughs) yeah she is just such a conservative just uh, you know, whatever, um, a conservative dork. Hmm. And, uh, and she said, um, Maureen Dow did a piece. Maureen Dowd, I think is a New York times reporter. And I think also being a conservative, she did a piece a few years ago where she was like, and I just, I'm going to go from, you know, New York out to Colorado and actually try this. Yeah. You know, she took too much. She, she took too much. Right. And, 
Yeah. Right. You know, and it's like a total, you know, loser moron. You know, first of all, I I would think that she's lying, that, you know, her whole <laughs> intention was to, oh, this stuff is so strong. And wow, this is, I'm, but it's a way to make herself look, you know, really adventurous. Like, you know, I was right there on the front lines of the. And oh boy, I experimented with those crazy drugs and oh boy, it was out of my Right. Right. And, but it's also like, let's say that, you know, she really did take too much. It's like, well, then you're sort of an idiot, right? Like you, <laughs> it's, why would we look at it any differently than the person that, uh, you know, hadn't had either never had anything to drink or hadn't had a drink since college. And they went out and they just, you know, drank an entire bottle of whiskey. And then they like, God, oh, and I got really drunk and, you know, I could barely stand up and I was well, puking and, but it's yeah. just a sort of uptight, you know, loser. Um, I think Michael Pollan is the same way in the, the way that he represents psychedelics. Like the the good thing about psychedelics is that they've been removed from the the counterculture. The, the counterculture was bad, but it's like, it's like no, you idiot. Like the like everything that's good about psychedelics is because of the counterculture. That it you know was open to that and it. It allowed that use and influence. So what did Hillary say? Well, Hillary said, okay, anyway, so Maureen Dowd, yeah, thank you for <laughs> bringing me back to that. Um, um, let's see, Maureen Dowd was just writing about the Biden ticket. Biden has said he's going to nominate a female vice presidential um, partner, hmm. right, uh, a woman vice president. And uh, so Maureen Dowd said something like, and so it would be the first time since uh, Mondale and um, Geraldine Ferraro that the Democrats have a you know male-female ticket. And Hillary Clinton flips out and says, that's not true. You know, it was me as the president, and then I chose Tim Kaine. You know, like the, the enigmatic, you know, super... Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, mesmerizing Tim Kaine from <laughs> yeah. you know from the from the liberal haven of Virginia. <laughs> um. Anyway, um. So, Clinton got upset about that, and of course, she had to be she had to reinforce you know the stereotype of the of the you know pot user as a loser who can't remember anything and is basically an idiot. And she says, "And like." And Maureen Dowd's been eating too many pot brownies, you know, and that's why she made the mistake, right? Like, you know, people who use pot make mistakes, implicitly saying, so those of us who don't smoke pot don't make mistakes. You know, like we would never vote for the Iraq war, you know, like that couldn't be a dumber thing to have done than to have just simply overlooked that the, uh, that the last ticket was a female male ticket. You know, although maybe Dowd meant the president is a male and the vice president's a female, but it just right. you know who cares? Like, and right. and then of course it quickly gets into uh, and whoever it is, you know, we need to be supportive of her, you know, because she's a woman, and we've got to be supportive of women, and you never say anything like you know the uh, that just, man just as long as they don't eat brownies. Well, right, but it's, she goes then she goes back into this diatribe of uh, like. Uh, you never say that a man is ambitious and hold that against him. Like, you know, just trying to dig up the, all of the toxicity from 2016 and, 
Like, do we really need that on top of like the pandemic and that don't we, for God's sake, at least at this point, understand that, you know, Donald Trump is a really crappy president. Like, how can you just keep saying that all the time and nothing else? Like there wasn't anything else wrong with the country before this happened. Um, but I guess, you know, long-term when I think about how conservative people like Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden are, I'm not really all that encouraged that things will change uh, just because we have a new president. Uh, okay, we're, we're running long. What kind of predictions you got? Um, well, let's see. Um, well, I guess to follow up on the first thing we talked about is uh, that um, – I think that they're going to cancel the college football season. I think it's just going to look completely uh, just um, outrageous and, and idiotic if the SEC decides by itself that it's going to have a football season. Mm-hmm. And SEC teams will play other SEC teams and there won't be any other college football. I mean, I think that will just go down as like one of the most, you know, just stubborn and backward and I'll, I'll predict that that won't happen that basically what's going on right now is they're trying to figure out how to announce it and how to you know damage control damage control basically because you know the big thing is that they're going to lose out on the tv revenue that's the big thing yeah well the yeah whole, so, so they're probably also negotiating with them to try to figure out some way to well, I mean, they can negotiate all they want, but I right. mean, well, nobody is going to watch games that are not played. Yeah, there's right. no way around it. Yeah. All right. My other, my, well, this my other prediction is going to be that the long-term extension of this is that that's going to be a major hit on the economy. It's going to especially be a major hit on the local economy of the many you know, medium-sized cities like uh, Lexington and Louisville, you know, Columbus, Bloomington, you know, Champaign, Illinois, Columbia, Missouri, Knoxville, Tennessee, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, Athens, Georgia, and, and so forth. Um, it'll, it'll really hurt those places. But, and then even worse is it'll hurt places um, like uh, Athens, Ohio, which is a, a fairly small town in Appalachia in southeast Ohio, where Ohio University is, uh, the Bobcats, not the, not the Buckeyes. And you're talking about a pretty small town where pretty much everything in terms of the local economy there, you know, the local tax revenue plus just the, the income and the spending really depends on the university. And what does the university depend on to bring in money? football. So um, long-term effect of this is that it could, uh, you know, it, it may really just destroy NCAA sports. Okay, man. Well, good pod. Well, uh, good pod. This is David Miller. This is, uh, this is uh, Dr. Dave Overby <laughs> along Good Miller, and this has been the podcast recorded on the 10th of August, 2020. See you next week. All right.